I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Kim Platt's Gymkhana Fall Play. The Princess Stakes Murder. Starring Howard Duff. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by the makers of Quaker State Motor Oil and the Ford Motor Company. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. On Labor Day, jockey Willie Rich rode home, the favorite, for a big win at Del Mar Racetrack. He celebrated by turning up the next morning in his swimming pool, dead. An accident? Private Detective Max Roper doesn't think so. He has the feeling that it was murder, and has set out to prove just that to Tyler Clayton, oil man, horse owner, and the late jockey's employer, whose debutante daughter is missing, to Clayton's wife, Monica, a former B-picture movie star with a string of ex-husbands and an involvement with a metaphysical quack named Louis Charnock, and to a health spa that features a machine called the Isotron, a machine that Max Roper has the feeling could break a man in half. The Princess Stakes murder resumes after this message. back at the EPT offices on Wilshire Boulevard. EPT meaning Emergency Procedure Terminus. It stands for Big Troubles and the Solutions Thereof. My boss asked me how my weekend was. I told him. I told him, too, that Willie was a friend of mine. He gave me one week to wrap the whole thing up. I started at LAPD. Captain Scott, head of Bunko and Forgery, didn't keep me waiting, and I didn't waste his time. Charnock, Louis Charnock, and we've had an eye on him for 20 years. There have been a few complaints, but nothing we could hit him with and make it stick. 
You know this town. It's always gone for quacks and saviors. What kind of complaints? Then again, you'd be surprised how many people swear that Charnock's given them inspiration and reason for living. Uh, I repeat, what kind of complaints? Uh, standard. He gets good play with donations. There's another man in the operation. Wesley Dorn works with Charnock. Does bookings, takes care of travel, publicity, promotion, greets the little old ladies, plays the organ background music. Yeah, I saw him. Chunky, broad-shouldered, dressed all in white. What about him? Well, Dorn handles the money end. Keeps Charnock always in the clear. Always? Well, we nearly had him nailed seven years ago. Dorn or Charnock? It doesn't matter. I see it as Charnock's operation. Anyway, seven years back, a fella claimed Charnock broke up his marriage. Claimed a 529. Extortion? Yeah. But the wife refused to sign the complaint. The guy claimed that half the dough his wife shelled out was his. Community property. Sounds more like a civil action. Did he get half the money back? It was his wife's income. He wasn't working. Apparently, he settled out of court. The guy ever get his wife back? Nope. What was his name? You might be able to give me a line. Lance Kite. Hmm. Number four. Do you have Kite's last address in that file? I'll write it down. Okay. Now to get back to Willie Rich. I checked with homicide. So far, his death is listed as an accidental drowning. I'm trying to prove otherwise. And I got another problem. Pam Clayton, missing heiress. Here's her picture of statistics. Hmm. Girl, that pretty ought to be right up your alley, Roper. Shouldn't take you more than a few days. Hmm. How do you figure? I haven't got much to go on. Sure, yeah. Incentive. Lance Kite had moved from the address he'd given the Bunko Squad. He was now living in an apartment house in a ratty section of West Los Angeles with a good view of the city storm drain. Whatever Monica's out-of-court settlement had been, it was no windfall. Yeah. I'd seen his picture and knew he was ex-Mr. Universe, but still I was not prepared for his bulk. My height, but a 50-inch chest. Life had got to him, though, and booze. I could see it in his face and smell it on his breath. He was still big, but soft and flabby now, maybe 10, 20 pounds over his best. He needed to shave, his eyes were red, and he wasn't cheerful. What do you want? Lance Kite? What about it? Uh, mind if I ask a few questions? It's private business. Can we talk inside? I talk good right here. I'm uh, trying to get some information about Louis Charnock. I believe you registered a complaint against him with the Bunko Squad. You were married to Monica Moore at the time. Who are you? Name's Roper, private investigator. I understand she left you for Charnock. I'm trying to find out if he's on the level of running a racket. I'd like to nail him. You wouldn't mind that, would you? Uh, I'd have to think about okay, it. Okay, no hurry. I uh, heard you dropped your complaint suddenly. Mind telling me why? Sure. It's none of your business. Is that clear enough? Fine. First rate. Thanks for your time. Now, hold it. Hold it. Did, uh, did Monica send you? Monica? No, eh? But you seen her around. Yes. Maybe you'll see her again, eh? Maybe you can give her a message for me. Maybe. Okay. Give it. A heavily muscled 20-inch arm launched from deep in his living room in a long, sweeping arc at my chin. It should have torn my head off, but my old judo and karate instructor had prepared me well for just such chance encounters. 
I moved my head to the right and used left four-fifths upper block, revolving my blocking arm in a short counter arc. Inverted fist strike to the spleen, and kite sagged and wrecked. I caught all the fumes from his morning's worth of beer. He was set up perfectly for a rising elbow strike, but I was fascinated by his long, vulnerable jaw and tagged him on it to find out if it was glass. It was. And Kite sat down with a look of hurt surprise. I dropped my business card under his gaping mouth. Uh, drop around and see me, Kite. Uh, when you feel better. A woman had come out of a neighboring apartment. She stood staring, disbelieving how anyone could drop an ex-Mr. Universe. I summed it up for her in one word. Incentive. To the sea, with transportation to exciting places. Look close, it's the solid Ford Torino for 74. This is the spirited mid-size car, restyled with a new front end, opera windows, and luxurious new interiors. So get in, slam the door, and go. This is the solid mid-size car that says excitement for 74. Look close, you've got a solid car. The closer you look, the better we look. We'll return to our story in a moment. Adam, where are you? Up here, Eve, and I'm very busy inventing things. Big deal. I invented something, too. What? Shoes. What are shoes? Watch this. I just slipped them on. And they keep my hands warm. Hey, that's great. Want to see what I invented today? Not that fire bit again. Don't worry. Now I know what fire is for. What are you putting in your mouth? You remember that paper stuff I invented? Well, it's wrapped around some chopped up leaves I call tobacco. You're weird, Adam. I set fire to the tobacco thing and puffing the smoke. <laughs> What's wrong with your invention, Adam? Lots of things. With that fire thing, you're hot stuff. You know something, Eve? I think you just invented the first bad joke. This history lesson was brought to you by your American Cancer Society, which says smoking is a drag. I phoned the box office at the Wilshire Park Playhouse. The attendant hesitated when I asked where Mr. Charnock was living while in town. I explained it concerned a large donation to his cause. I got the address. The Regency Arms is a good apartment hotel off Wilshire along the old Miracle Mile. The clerk told me Charnock had the penthouse. A small self-service elevator worked its way to the top. The suite had double doors. A big, burly man filled the threshold. His hair was close-cropped yellow. He had a flat, dented nose, scar tissue over his eyes and ears, an ex-pug, wrestler, or bouncer. I recognized him as the man driving the limousine the night I saw Monica Clayton and Charnock in the car after his lecture. I handed the bouncer come butler my business card. It read, Anthony Hale, attorney at law. 
Uh, tell Mr. Charnix about a donation Mrs. Casper may have called. It concerns her estate. I'll wait. Big Bruiser didn't say a word. Just walked across the sitting room to a closed door at the far end, knocked, and entered. While I waited, I studied the brochures on psychic power and cosmic thoughts and was deep in reading how to create my own good luck. When the door opened, the Bruiser summoned me by tilting his anvil-shaped head. Mr. Hill. It's difficult for me to see people without an appointment. My time is limited. There are so many in need. I understand, Mr. Charlie, but the matter of Mrs. Casper's estate concerns you. I have with me an affidavit signed by Mrs. Casper. Mrs. Casper, I don't believe I've seen her name in our guest book. The matter of her will is a sensitive, and I'm sure you understand. There's the utmost need for discretion. You say that Mrs. Casper has come to my lecture? Many times, but she's never given her correct name. Family, you understand? Yes, but why all this caution? Very well. Quite bluntly, Mrs. Casper does not have long to live. Her death is not only predictable, but imminent. Her bequest to you is to be anonymous, because the present heirs would not welcome this dispersal of the estate they somehow conceive of being their rightful inheritance. Well, that presents no problem. But there was a good deal of notoriety about that other woman once, wasn't there? Let's see. Her name was, um... Uh, Monica Moore, yes, the former movie star. The matter of her husband's contesting the disposal of her monies. Remember, it was all in the papers, Mr. Charnock. Uh, one moment, please. Our cosmic thoughts are not in tune. Let me concentrate a moment. Mm. Uh, no, this is a difficult matter. Perhaps you should speak to my associate. Don't bother, Lewis. It's a waste of time. The gentleman will be leaving. The voice on the intercom belonged to the man who now stood in the doorway. Doran, the organist, business manager, general factotum for Charnock. Alongside him was the bruiser. It says Anthony Hale on this card. There must be some mistake. The name is Roper, isn't it? Whatever gave you that idea? The cosmic mind. I started to close the snap on the attaché case on my knees. The gun changed my mind. I handed the case over to Dorn. He opened it, lifted out the small tape recorder, switched the on button to rewind, spun the tape, wiped it out. He nodded to the bruiser, who fell in two steps behind me. With his gun in my ribs, I went obediently to the elevator. But as I left Charnock's office, I could hear a slapping sound and an exclamation of pain. The gun prodded my back. As the elevator door closed and I started down, I thought back to that brochure about making your own good luck. Guess I hadn't read enough of it. Well, you win one, you lose one. I called Allie Regal to see if he had any news about Pam Clayton, the missing heiress. She's still missing, unless you manage to find her. Well, they told me at the Gilded Cuckoo she never kept her beauty appointment Monday morning that, in fact, she didn't even have one. Incidentally, is that spa legit? Yeah, as far as I know. Allie, I'm batting zero. Come up with something, anything. Well, Penny Rich has complained that their house has been broken into and ransacked again. Again? Well, when did it happen before? A few nights before Willie was knocked off. Two break-ins? Uh-huh. Hmm. Sounds like Willie had something somebody wanted and still wants. If he knew about it and didn't let on, then he had a pat hand and was sitting tight. Maybe we finally have something, Allie. Motive. I hung up and wondered if the first ransacking of Willie's house had been the reason for his calling me. It was a new element to consider. I thought about that and suddenly thought about something else I should have thought about and hadn't. 
I called the gilded cuckoo, but the regular receptionist wasn't there. The gal I talked to had just been transferred from therapy. I remembered her. The regular girl, Bonnie Burns, was on vacation, she said. Left Monday. I explained it was important that I reach her and got her address, Tahoe, the Totem Lodge. Uh, did uh, Pamela Clayton have an appointment at the Cuckoo Monday morning, Labor Day? Sure. Monday's her standing appointment. Hairstyling with Mr. K. She came in right on time. Oh. Uh, then a Mr. H. Masson didn't take her place? No, never heard of him. Uh-huh. Well, was uh, Mrs. Clayton ever a patient under treatment for anything? You'd have to ask Mr. Glendon about that. We're not allowed to discuss... I'd like to fly up there tonight, get a statement from you. Tonight? Crazy. I look forward to it. Uh, uh, Bonnie, do you always uh, take your vacation at this time? No, but I was overdue, and, and all of a sudden they said business was slow and I should take off. Uh, would that be Mr. Glendon? Yes. You know him? When did he decide it was all right for you to start your vacation? It was Monday, Labor Day, right after lunch. Hey, you sound sexy. Ask me the questions when you get up here. You, uh, look as good as you sound? Uh, better not depend on it. Try cabin five when you get here. We'll find out. When I got to the totem lodge, cabin five had the light on and the door open. It seemed a nice, hospitable gesture. I knocked on the door. Bonnie? I got that odd, cold feeling and walked in. I took Pam Clayton's photo from my pocket and was disturbed by her resemblance to Bonnie Burns. Same age, similar coloring. They could have passed for sisters. I stared at a blonde wig set off in her dressing table and wondered if she'd worn it recently. She wasn't wearing it now. Bonnie Burns was a redhead, and the redhead was dead. Sprawled on the floor in a pool of her own blood. A long knife buried in her back. There's a little town in western Pennsylvania called Oil City where they make peace of mind. They put it up in quart-sized green and white cans and ship millions of them all over the land to people who don't want to worry about their cars. This peace of mind for car owners is called Quaker State Motor Oil. The folks who make it are experts, men who really know motor oil, because that's been Quaker State's specialty for over 50 years. Quaker State starts with the finest natural petroleum the earth provides, 100% pure Pennsylvania grade crude oil. Then they put it through step after step of refining and fortify it to fight heat and rust and dirt and wear and give your engine the protection it needs. Quaker State Motor Oil. Who said buy peace of mind? Quaker State, your car. You keep it running, yeah. You keep it running. The Zero Hour continues after this. There was a time when the rivers, the earth, and the sky of America were pure. A time when the only American was the Indian. Today, America is suffering from pollution. But the problem isn't hopeless. We can protect the natural beauty of America if you get involved. Something as simple as using the fuel rated most efficient for the engine of your car or planting trees to help purify the air and prevent soil erosion, or starting a compost heap 
instead of burning leaves or trash. People start pollution. People can stop it. This message has been brought to you on behalf of Keep America Beautiful and this station. The local sheriff's office said they'd get a man out. I flushed a cab to the airport and learned there'd been earlier flights out to Reno, San Francisco, and Vegas. The killer needn't have waited around for me, but I had the feeling, one of those feelings, that the killer would be on my flight back to L.A. The plane was fueling up on the runway. Six other passengers boarded the plane, two women, four men. One of the women had the seat next to her piled high with bags, baskets, containers of all sorts. I put her down as a grandmother visiting a newly married daughter with a lot of groceries for the family. The second woman was dark and bulky, her face half covered with a scarf and wearing a thick, high-collared coat. She constantly hummed and talked to herself as she stared out the seat window. She had a big ball of wool in the seat and knitting needles, scissors, and magazines. Another nut going to join the relatives. I spoke to the men, an elderly reverend gentleman, long retired from the cloth, he said, out of Tahoe City. The second was a chubby salesman of electric lighting fixtures who had negotiated a big deal on animated neons with the large casinos. The third, a ranger from Sequoia National Park, quitting the service after 20 years. The fourth was a satinine dental surgeon from San Diego who said he was dying of cancer at 43. He looked older. I was the seventh passenger. The only one aboard who looked like a murderer. Well, sometimes those feelings are wrong. I knew I had the feeling, but maybe this was one of those times. When we put down at L.A. International, the women got off first. The one with the groceries headed for the first phone booth. The humming eccentric with the knitting needles went to the ladies' room. The retired reverend and the ranger picked up their luggage from the spinning drop in the baggage room. The lighting salesman grabbed his briefcase and headed for the bar. The dental surgeon and I went directly to the exit and cab stands. I let him have the first one that came along because he was dying and in more of a hurry. I got back to my apartment and smelled whiskey and trouble. The door had been forced, the living room attacked by a strong, bad-tempered visitor. I know who, even before I found the note from Lance Kite on my TV set saying he'd get back to me. I pulled the place more or less together, had a few drinks, and went to bed. Even in my dreams, I ran around, knocking on the wrong doors, bumping into things, stumbling over dead bodies. Willie kept following me, asking me when I was going to solve his murder. Homicide, Lieutenant Camino. Uh, Lieutenant Max Roper. Did uh, Captain Scott from Bunko fill you in? Oh, yeah, Roper. Have you turned up anything? Another corpse. Young woman, hunting knife on her back. Happened last night, up in Tahoe. Why the hell did you call me sooner? Well, uh, that's Placer County, out of your jurisdiction. And I was wondering if you'd uh, check out the blade. Hunting knife, ivory handle, not Johnny Cashew's usual style. Yeah, I can check him out for you. What else? Louis Charnock. Does he kill anybody? I'd like to believe it. But so far, he just seems guilty of perpetrating fraud. I'm getting nowhere fast on this caper. Can't seem to close in. Well, what do you expect, hot shot? You want to break it in three days? You know better than that. Get off your tail. Do some legwork. Jim Kilburn was one of the new breed of young whiz 10 percenters, an agent who handles athletes. Willie Rich had been one of his superstars. Come on, who'd want to kill Willie? Look, look at the file I've got on him. How much money he made for how many owners. You make a good point, Kilburn, but there are other factors. 
What about the disappearance of Clayton's daughter? I don't see the connection. Well, she and Willie Rich have been seeing each other. So what? I took her out a couple of times. Well, you're not married. Willie was. You're saying Penny could have done it? Forget it. Business managers have been known to pick up an extra few bucks with clients' money. Maybe you did it. Maybe I did, but I can't seem to remember the reason. All right, I'll tell you one thing. Willie and I were discussing money these days because he didn't want to ride for Clayton anymore. He was willing to buy back the advance and the contract. When did he tell you this? About a month ago, before the Del Mar meeting started. Willie could have made over a million if he cared to ride what was available, and I'd make my 10%, of course. I think he was bored, been riding too long. Why would I kill him? I made money off of him. Did anybody else know Willie didn't want to ride anymore? No, and not to my knowledge, not even Clayton. Where were you on Labor Day, Kilburn? Not killing Willie. I was in San Francisco negotiating a deal. All day? All night? What hours are you interested in? I understand he was killed at 10. I was in L.A. International at 8.05. That left me just enough time to fly down to Escondido and knock Willie off in his pool. Possible. I know you fly your own plane, but I guess you didn't because you had a previous engagement. Hmm? Correct. You're not going to tell me it was with Pam Clayton. I'm not telling you another damn thing. How high up are we? 23 floors. Why? Either you tell me where you were after 8 Monday night, or I'm going to throw you right out the window. What are you, some kind of psycho? Let's find out, shall we? No, wait, 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 wait. Wait, I'll, I'll tell you. But, look, I wouldn't want it to get around. I... My lips are sealed. If this gets out, I will sue you for defamation. I'm Can't... waiting, Kilburn. I was, uh, I was at the, uh, the Golden Grotto. Oh, I didn't know you were gay. I'm not. I need a Jess Haywood signature on a contract. You mean Haywood, the quarterback? I swear, if you spread this around... One more thing. Did uh, Willie ever go to the Gilded Cuckoo, that spa in Poway? Yeah, I think so, once in a while, to take off a few pounds. What's the connection? Maybe Bonnie Burns, a receptionist. I found her murdered last night up at Lake Tahoe. Knife in her back. Oh, my God. Look, I, I, I wish I could help you. I, I really do. Here. Here, take this list. People Willie worked for, you know, wins, losses... Kilburn was the color of wet chalk. I left him frantically mopping his brow. There are a lot of owners and trainers on the list he gave me with better records than Tyler Clayton, but Clayton was the only one whose daughter vanished the same day that Willie drowned, and that fact sent me back to the Clayton estate. I eased into the driveway and was starting for the front door. I ducked low, ran around a thick hedge toward the sound of shots. Tyler Clayton stood facing a small outdoor shooting range, firing in a full front dummy. I watched his face. He enjoyed it. I got the impression, the feeling, that Tyler Clayton could kill with no trouble at all. You are listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour. Where does today's girl learn to be tomorrow's woman? At the movies? On television? Helen, darling, your floors are so shiny. Yes, John. I used Brandex polish just this morning. Brandex. Helen, will you marry me? Somewhere between the super sex symbol of today's commercialism and TV's Brandex image, impending womanhood is alive and well. And where is that somewhere? Wherever there are campfire girls. reaches the girl reaching out for tomorrow and puts a promise before her. The promise of personal development, of friends and fun. The promise of womanhood.
campfire takes today's girl to tomorrow. Uh, this is John Bartholomew Tucker. Your body does a lot of talking. It tells you you're hungry. It lets you know you need water. It may warn you a stroke is on the way. These are some of stroke's warning signs. Sudden temporary weakness or numbness of the face, arm, or leg. Temporary difficulty or loss of speech. Sudden temporary dimness or loss of vision, particularly in one eye. An episode of double vision. Unexplained headaches. Temporary dizziness or unsteadiness. If you notice one or more of these signs, see your doctor. This year, over 200,000 Americans will die of stroke. Don't let one of them be you. Ask your heart association for further information about stroke and how to prevent it. Helping you to feel better and live better longer is just one of the services of your heart association. Give to your heart fund. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Princess Stakes Murder. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. been listening to The Zero Hour, a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow, and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. This is Mutual, your news and sports radio network.